0: Hi, uh, I'm Roland Vive and I wanted to thank you very much for joining our podcast today. So today is going to be a discussion. Um, we talked about the two certainties in life, death and taxes. Um, so today we're gonna talk about what happens when those two intersect. So I'm gonna break it up into a two part series. The first part is really just going to, to deal with, you know, what are the tax consequences of death? What actually happens from a tax perspective? And in a second part, um, we'll We'll deal with some of the things that we can do around planning for that and, and get into into a discussion about estate planning. But before we can get into estate planning, we really have to talk, you know have a, a fundamental understanding of what happens at the time of death so that you can plan for it. So that's today's discussion. So as with most of these topics, it's highly complex. I'm going to try and uh, you know, at the end of the day, we'll only scratch the surface, but I'm going to try and give you a reasonable understanding of of what happens. Uh, at the time of death. And obviously we can speak for days and days on these topics and many papers are presented on it. So um, it'll be an overview, but it'll be deep enough that you'll have a good fundamental understanding. So we're going to talk about um, a couple of types of taxes, uh, income tax and probate fees. I'm going to focus mostly on income tax, but we will touch briefly on, on probate fees, which is relevant to people in Ontario. So what happens on death from a tax perspective? The the default position is that at the time of your death, there is a deemed disposition of your worldwide assets at their fair market value. So what does that mean? That means it's, it's as if you sold everything that you own for what it's worth and you trigger tax accordingly. So it is a not a real disposition, it's a deemed disposition, but, but the consequences are such that it's as if you sold it for fair value. And, um, and then from there, you know, the, the tax consequences arise. So there are some exceptions um, to that, and we'll get into it. But, um, you know, if you kind of look at what that means, a deemed disposition, um, Canada will, will tax you on, on the growth in value, not what you're worth, but what things have the growth in the value of your assets. So let, let's use some examples. Um, if you own shares of a a publicly traded company, you have the Bell Canada shares that you've held personally in your name. Um, we're not going to talk right now about registered plans like RSPs and RIFs, but if you had Bell Canada shares that you were fortunate enough to, to buy and pay $5,000 for them, and now they're worth $40,000, then at the time of your death, you will trigger the capital gain on that $35,000 increase in value. So that's what I mean by a deemed disposition. It's not a real sale, but it says as if you sold it. So that's how it would apply to assets that are held by you personally. So um, you know, any kind of publicly traded securities will be disposed of at their fair value. The same thing would apply to any private company shares that you hold. So this becomes particularly important for business owners. So if you've started a business from scratch, um, you've been, you know, and you've built it up and now it's suddenly worth millions of dollars, absent any planning, which we'll get into in the next session, you have a fairly significant capital gain that is triggered. Um, The same thing will apply to any registered investments you have. So when I say registered investments, I'm talking about our RSPs and RIFs. So if you've got an RSP that you've been contributing to uh, through your working life, and not only have you put money in, but it has been growing on a tax free on a tax deferred basis rather. Um, At the time of your death, if your RSP is worth half a million dollars, then it's as if you've got a massive $500,000 withdrawal from your RSP. So all of these things which have never been taxed before, the money that goes into the RSP has never been taxed. You got the deduction on your tax return when you made the contribution and it's been growing within the plan on a tax deferred basis. That all of that RSP money will get withdrawn be on a deemed withdrawal and lead to some fairly significant tax consequences. The same thing with the value of your rifts, if you're a certain age and your RSPs have converted into registered retirement investment funds, same concept, the value of those rifts at the time of your death are brought into income. The deemed disposition applies to everything. But you know, there are some things which actually may not lead to any capital gains, they may not have gone up in value. So we typically think of that as as personal effects, you know, the value of your car, unless it's, you know, a rare vintage car it's a depreciating asset. So although it might be subject to the deemed disposition rules, there's actually no growth in value. So um, personal effects tend not to lead to any tax consequences, although they can, like I said, in certain examples, if you've got a vintage car that is uh, worth significantly more um, or you have artwork or jewelry, which has increased in value, then there is potential for some some tax to be triggered on that. But by and large, the largest, the, the more significant tax consequences are from the deemed disposition on assets that you hold directly. And if you own private company shares, um, it's, you know, it can be quite significant. Um, And then of course the the registered plans because people, you know, because as Canadians, we tend to use RSPs as one of our investment vehicles. Uh, You know, it's one of the few retirement vehicles that, that we've got at our disposal that works so well. Um, there are lots of Canadians who have some significant value built up into our in their RSPs, and that's where you're going to get a lot of the tax. Um, your principal residence is also subject to the deemed disposition rules, um, but it's slightly different because in, in some instances it's tax-free. Right? If you've if you've lived in your home all of your life and you've only held the one home, then you know we have a principal residence exception in Canada. So your home, the value, the growth in the value of your home may not lead to any tax consequences. But perhaps if you've got a cottage or a second home or a vacation property, then those uh, any increase in value uh, of those assets at the time of your death will be subject to the deemed disposition, and may also lead to some some taxes payable. Once you pass away, um, your registered plans they're deemed to be disposed of, but the assets still remain within your RSP. So beyond your death, those uh, the RSP, the RIFs and your tax free savings accounts cease being tax deferred and any income that's generated from those becomes uh, taxable to your estate. Um, So in short, Canada, we tax inherent gains. We tax things that haven't been taxed before, and um, it's not necessarily based on solely on fair value. So what what do I mean by that? So if you've got a hundred thousand dollars sitting in your bank, that itself, there's no gain on that. That's money that you've you've earned that you've paid tax on in the past. So we're not going to tax that. But if you have $100,000 worth of shares that have gone up in value, then you are, are going to pay tax on that accrued gain. So that's the default, which is, is a horribly taxable situation. So what are the exceptions? There are some fairly uh, important exceptions to this. Um, and that's what we call a rollover in tax. A rollover is is basically when an asset passes from one taxpayer to another without any tax consequences. The most important, when we talk about death and taxes, the most important rollover is when you leave uh, your assets to a surviving spouse. So the spouse can be legally married or common law, they're, they're indistinguishable from a tax perspective. So when you leave all of your assets to your spouse, then there is a complete deferral on the tax. So there is no deemed disposition triggered. Everything passes over to your spouse at at its tax value. So if you have, again, in that example, you've got your Bell Canada shares that you paid five thousand dollars for, that are now worth significantly more, and you transfer those, you leave them to your spouse, then your spouse inherits your tax cost, and there is no tax triggered. And that works across the board. It works for RSPs, RIFs, pretty much everything passes over to your spouse. So. When we talk about estate planning in the next session um, you know that, that spells rollover as we like to say is, um, is an important part of, of some of the tax deferral that we're, we're trying to achieve on this. You can leave your assets directly to your spouse to get that rollover or there are some opportunities to set up a trust for your spouse um, and not necessarily leave it directly to him or her but to leave it for their benefit and there's some strict conditions that need to be adhered to but essentially you can get that rollover, leave it in a trust for your spouse, get the deferral of tax, but not have them on it directly. And um, you know, why would you do that? We'll get into that a little bit more in the next session, but essentially it's a way to achieve that, that rollover, which we're trying to get and, and put the tax off for as long as possible. And it also gives you some measure of control over those assets. So. For example, you know, if you want to do the the tax-driven optimal um, strategy, to leave everything to your spouse. But if you're young and your spouse remarries, um, you know, as you know, you may want everything to go to your spouse, and in the, the event of your spouse's uh, passing, that everything goes to your children. But if you leave it to your spouse directly, um, and they remarry, there's no guarantee that that those assets will actually go to your children. It would you know, that spouse may have his or her own will, and they may leave it to their new spouse. So by leaving it to your spouse directly, you lose a bit of control. If you leave it to your spouse by way of a trust, then there are some ways where you can generally direct it and make sure that it, try try to ensure that, um, you know, the the remaining assets upon your spouse's death go to your children, but we'll we'll get into that. Um, And uh, a lesser opportunity for for deferral, again, the big one being leaving everything to your spouse. Um, you know, you can, if you have an RSP, you can leave it. Very limited circumstances, you can leave it to a disabled child or grandchild who's financially dependent on you, and you will get that same uh, deferral of tax. Um, but aside from those those uh, the spousal rollover and the limited rollover for disabled children, uh, those are really two exceptions that we see. Um, but otherwise, you know, there's, there's, there's the deemed disposition and we're generally stuck with that. Um, so that's income tax. There is, uh, and again, just scratching the surface on this. Um, the, the other taxes that were sometimes uh, that are levied on death, uh, we refer to as probate fees. Probate fees uh, are something that are quite prevalent here in Ontario. Not all provinces have probate fees, but I know in Ontario we do. It's actually referred to as the estate administration tax. So so what is it? Well, if you have money in a bank, you have one hundred thousand dollars just sitting in a bank account at the time of your death and your will says that it is going to go to um, your spouse. If you go, you know, you try your spouse then tries to get that money out of the bank. And you present the will and say you know here I am I'm the beneficiary of the estate I'd like to get that hundred thousand dollars that's being left to me the the banks are generally they want to make sure that the will that is presented to them is in fact a valid will and is your more current will so what the banks the financial institutions will often insist on is that the will be probated which is basically taking that will before the courts in Ontario and having it validated. So now if you bring the will to the bank and say, okay, you know, please discharge these assets, and the will has been probated by the courts and said you know, to be certified as your last will and testament and as a valid will, they'll release the money. But without a probated will, they won't. So the probate is the act of taking this will and getting it certified. So the courts in Ontario will charge a fee for that. So the fee is a sliding structure. It's 0.5% on the first $500,000 of assets and 1.5% on anything over and above $500,000. So if the value of your estate is $2 million, then you're going to pay a little over $29,000 for that uh, to have, just simply have the, I mean there's more to it. I don't want to um, depict it as being just a, an act of rubber stamping. There is obviously work that is done for that, but there is a cost to, to have that that will probated. And in a lot of cases, you know, again, like in that example, a $2 million estate Will lead to uh, probate fees of twenty nine thousand dollars. So uh, it's a cost in Ontario, um, and it really um, is, is on top of income tax. It's a separate uh, cost altogether, and um, you know it's certainly the, the income tax part of it can be significantly higher than the probate fees. But you don't necessarily want to ignore the incidence of probate because it does uh, it does add to the overall tax burden of uh, of dealing with with your estate now. Fortunately, there are some strategies to deal with probate fees that we'll get into. Um, uh, But, you know, they are they are a tax that is uh, is not to be ignored. And then and then finally, I guess I'm going to talk briefly about US estate tax. So the US has its own estate tax that is levied on the basis of fair value Um, and You know, we like to think that we're not exposed to this as Canadians, but in fact, the U.S. estate tax can apply to non-residents of the United States. So anybody, a Canadian resident could be exposed to U.S. estate tax. Your your exposure is limited to what is referred to as U.S. situs assets. So, you know, there has to be a a presence, uh, you know, a U.S. connection to your assets in order for U.S. estate tax to be applicable, but it, it does apply. Um, so a couple of examples of what U.S. Citus assets might include would be your typical Florida or Arizona condo. Uh, so if you have real estate in the U.S. and uh, or you directly own shares of U.S. companies, if you own Tesla stock or Apple stock, those are, are, are U.S. companies and they're considered to be U.S. Citus assets. So the fortunate thing is the the treaty between Canada and the U.S. does give Canada some. Canadians some fairly large exemptions so for the vast majority of Canadians whose estates are fairly modest um, and when I talk about fairly modest let's say you know less than eight eight million dollars Canadian um, you're not going to have any issues with U.S. estate tax but you know if you happen to be a person of means um, and you're fortunate enough to have a, an estate which may exceed these thresholds then you should at least consider the potential impact of U.S. estate tax so you know it's complicated enough to deal with Canadian tax it's complicated enough to deal with probate fees but we also have to you know at least turn some attention to the potential incidence of U.S. estate tax uh, as well if you happen to be a person of means. Um, You know again I don't want to dwell too much on estate tax but you know for people who do have U.S. property it needs to be considered. You know, the U.S. estate tax is creditable in Canada. So if you do happen to pay U.S. estate tax, there is perhaps an opportunity for that to offset your Canadian tax that's otherwise payable. Um, It's not guaranteed. So um, in a lot of instances, you know, planning to to avoid U.S. estate tax is going to be fairly complex. And a lot of times you just need to quantify your exposure and perhaps just deal with it. Um, But, you know, in some instances, there are more complex structures that need to be factored into into your overall estate plan. So there you go. The three major taxes: income tax, Canadian income tax, uh, probate fees, and then potentially U.S. estate tax. So um, from a compliance perspective, okay. So you know, there you've passed away. What returns, what tax returns need to get filed, and when do they need to get filed? So you have, and this is a, a terrible expression, but it's called your terminal tax return. It is your final regular personal income tax return. That return will start on January 1st and will end uh, at the date of your death. So if you've passed away on December 1st, then you will have a tax return that goes from January 1st of that year to December 1st of that year. Um, And at that point, you will report all of your regular income that you've earned during that 11-month period, as well as then we'll tack on to that the capital gains and deemed dispositions from, you know, any investments that you own personally, private company shares, non-registered shares of Bell Canada, the value of RSP. So it's all lumped into one tax return. So you've got your regular income that's earned during the year up to the date of your death, as well as the fair value deemed disposition consequences that are layered on top of that. So that's your terminal return. It's due either six months after your date of death or your n- normal April 30th uh, filing deadline, whichever is later. And then you have at least one estate tax return. So the estate tax return will start the day after your death. So um, again, using that example, if you pass away on December 1st, you've got your terminal return, Jan one to December 1st, and then um, your estate has a tax return that starts on December 2nd and can run uh, up to one year later. So you could have an estate return that uh, goes from December 2nd, uh, 2020, for example, to uh, December 1st, 2021, and that will be a full 365-day period and there's a separate tax filing for that. So what generally goes on in estate return will depend on the nature of your assets so if you have um an rsp for example it stops losing its tax deferred nature so if you've got half a million dollars uh, in your in your rsp at the time of your death the fair that fair value goes on your terminal return and then that money still is in your rsp until it can be dealt with and if it earns income it earns a five percent rate of return on the money within your rsp well it loses that tax deferred nature and the growth in the RSP is now taxable, and that goes on your estate return. Using my Bell Canada analogy, if you you know you have shares that you paid five thousand for, they're now worth fifty k um, at the time of your death, then you know you've got that forty five thousand dollar capital gain that's triggered, and now you know, you've now they're held in your estate. They have a tax cost of fifty, and if they continue to earn dividends or um, they're sold by your executors for 60,000. Well, that, that growth after your, after your death, the income that's generated, the capital appreciation after your death will, um, get taxed in your estate return. So at a minimum, we're going to have two returns triggered the terminal return up to the date of death and then the estate return for any income that continues to accrue, um, after your death through uh, the investments that you hold the assets that you hold now. The good news is the estate return does have its own set of graduated tax rates so again the first you know bunch of income will be taxed at low rates and it does you do get a chance to to carve out that that marginal tax rate curve so um for the first three years of your estate you can benefit from from potentially lower tax rates on the income that is generated after your death one last point those i talked about those being the two major returns there are potentially in some uh, rare circumstances where you can have other tax returns that are triggered, but certainly the terminal return and estate return are the two big ones. Um, there's something known as a rights or things return, which is another form of uh, tax return that will be filed in limited circumstances. Um, example might be, you know, income that you had a right to at the time of your death but you didn't receive. So if you had shares of a, uh, Bell Canada and a dividend was declared. Um, but it hadn't been received yet, then potentially that, that income get, can get carved out and put on a separate return. But the two big ones are the terminal return and the estate return. So um, lots to unpack here, but certainly, you know, we do have, the, I guess the two takeaways are that it's, it's highly complex um, and death can be a exceedingly taxable event for you. Um, particularly if you have lots of assets in your RSPs or assets that you own personally that have appreciated in value. So highly taxable. Um, Opportunities for deferral would include, um, well, it's part of an overall estate plan, but could include leaving it, uh, leaving these assets directly to a a spouse or to your spouse, surviving spouse through a trust. So um, there you go. We'll get into in the next session, we'll get into, uh, you know, some opportunities for estate planning. Um, but before you do that, you know, you have to understand what the default position is. And hopefully I've been able to give you a little bit of an overview on, on what that involves. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure.